Sometimes we look at the giants of faith, the great names of the Bible, and we tell ourselves, I could never be like them. It's hard for us to identify with them. One of those great men that we often look to and, and admire is Moses. And we see Moses leading this, the nation of Israel, and, and we think to ourselves, I, I could never do all of that. I could never put up with all the things that, they, that Moses put up with, leading that nation of Israel uh, to the promised land. But was Moses always a giant of faith? Was Moses always the man that we see leading Israel out of Egypt? Or was he more like you and me? Growing in our faith. Growing as we encounter God, so to speak, in our lives. Growing as we encounter challenges in our lives. Moses wasn't born a giant of faith. He became a giant of faith. And you and I can be giants of faith as well. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please be turning to Hebrews chapter 11. And you may have noticed over the last two or three weeks, we've been looking at two or three uh, different individuals out of Hebrews chapter 11, that great chapter of the heroes of faith, so to speak. And as we look at these different individuals, uh, we note what the Hebrew writer attributes to them as being their faith. So in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, the Hebrew writer says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw he was a beautiful child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured, as seeing him who is unseen. By faith he kept the Passover, and sprinkling the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. Moses is described here in Hebrews perhaps more than any other individual in this great chapter of the heroes of faith. But it speaks of the things that he learned perhaps from his parents. It speaks of the things that he did, and we can be in awe of him. But the reality is it took decades and decades for Moses to reach that point. Let's think about the story of Moses this morning. And as we do that, we want to consider the growth of Moses' faith, and then we want to learn what it takes for our faith to grow. So let's flip back in the Bible and go back to Exodus, beginning in chapter 2. And as we look in Exodus chapter 2, we're going to notice some things about Moses and the growth of his faith. In Exodus chapter 2, of course, we realize that here in Exodus, uh, that someone new has come up as Pharaoh, not the same Pharaoh that worked with Joseph and loved Joseph and gave, gave Joseph uh, some authority. But really things begin when we see in uh, Exodus chapter 2, verse 1, a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi, and the woman conceived and bore a son. 
And when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. Now, the backstory, remember, is that Pharaoh is, is tired of the expansion of the Hebrew population in Egypt. And he still wants people to be able to work for him as slaves. But he doesn't want them to become so populous that they're able to rise up against Egypt. And so he says, all the males, you throw in the Nile River. Not a good thing if you're a little Hebrew boy. And, and so that's edict had already been given. But it says in verse 3 that instead of doing that, Moses' mother, verse 3, when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket, covered it with tar and pitch, then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds of the banks of the Nile. Her sister stood, his sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. This is kind of a half-hearted compliance with the law. The law did say, place the little boys in the river, and she did that. It so happened it was in a basket that could float. Uh, but still, when you think about the Nile River, that's still not a certainty. Crocodiles, hippopotamuses, uh, other predators existed then. I'm sure a crocodile can hear the cries of a child floating in a basket on the river. Not uh, a big problem for a crocodile. Still some dangers existed for the child. But you see, she looked at him, and the Hebrew writer says, saw that he was beautiful. And the word for beautiful doesn't just mean that he was a good-looking guy, because we all know what that looks like. But rather, the idea of beautiful means that he was useful that he could accomplish something, that there was, there was some worth to him, there was some quality to him. I suppose all moms would look at their child and think the same thing. But you see, she was spurred on, and by faith, she says, you know what, I'm not going to follow what this king wants me to do. He's asking me to do something I know is contrary to the will of God. I know God can use this boy to do something. I suspect might be in her mind. Because the text says that he was beautiful. He was worth something. He could accomplish things is really what the word means. And so she doesn't do that. And then the text says, notice in verse 10, the child grew up and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter. So he's old enough that he know that he is weaned. He no longer needs his mom. And now, of course, the backstory again is that here comes Moses. He's discovered floating in the river by Pharaoh's daughter, and she instantly falls in love with the, the baby. And lo and behold, there happens to be a little Hebrew girl just kind of watching at a distance who says, hey, do you mind if I uh, go find someone to nurse that child for you? And, of course, she takes the baby back home. And so Moses' mother continues to be able to care for the child, but then when he's weaned, she takes her takes him back to Pharaoh's house. And he's raised by, by Pharaoh's daughter. And so there he is, in the home of Pharaoh, learning all the etiquette of Egyptian society, high society, learning all the traits of what it is to be the son of the king of Egypt. I'm sure having all that brilliant education having all that tremendous training. But he doesn't hold on to that. He doesn't claim that. There must have been something in Moses' mind that reminded him of his 
childhood. The Hebrew writer says he gave up all of those things for the riches of Christ. Rather than staying there to enjoy the pleasures of sin, I suppose as Pharaoh's son he could have had, or Pharaoh's grandson, he could have had any number of things that he wanted. But in the back of Moses' mind, he knew who he was. And he was concerned about his people. Verse 11 says, Now it came out in those days when Moses had grown up, not the same as the grown up in verse 10, but now he's an adult. That he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labor. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. This phrase, this language of he, he went to look on his brethren, went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors, implies that he wasn't just happening to be traveling down the road and, and saying, well, I'm glad I'm not like the rest of the Hebrews, having to work hard. I'm glad that I got the, uh, the good luck of being discovered, and now I'm in Pharaoh's house. But it seems to imply here that he's going out to see what their condition is. He has a, a little bit of concern for them. He identifies with Hebrew people. He knows that's who he is, where he originates, and he's concerned for them. So you know the story. He, he kills the Egyptian that's beating the Hebrew. Verse 13. He went out the next day. And behold, two Hebrews were fighting each other. Again, he's going out. He's concerned about his brethren. He wants to know how they are faring. He, he's concerned with what's happening to the Hebrew people. He goes out a second time, a second day in a row to find these things out. And of course, you know the story. Two Hebrew slaves are fighting each other. He tries to put a stop to it, and they ask him, Who made you, prince and king of us? Over us, are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And it's then that Moses realizes that word has gotten out. He thought that he was clever. He thought that he had this, uh, uh, hidden his, his murder of the Egyptian that was beating the, the Hebrew slave. And now he realizes that he's been found out. So he travels to Midian. It's very interesting as we look at the text here. There seems to be a discrepancy. Look in Exodus chapter 2, verse 15. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now turn over to the book of Acts in Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is recounting for uh, the Jewish leaders and the Jewish crowds in Jerusalem about the history of the Jews and how it leads to Christ. But notice what Stephen says in his inspired speech. Acts chapter 7, verse 29. says, At this remark, Moses fled and became an alien in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. And yet the book of Hebrews says, as we turn back over to Hebrews chapter 11, that he fled, not that he fled necessarily out of fear, but in spite of that. 
That is to say, he went not fearing the king's edict. Verse 23, because they saw he was beautiful, not afraid of the king's edict. Um, verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was unseen. What does that mean? His crime is found out, but he goes to the land of Midian, and he trusts God while he's there. He's not afraid that the king of Pharaoh, or that Pharaoh, king of Egypt, is going to enter the land of Midian to recover him and take him back to Egypt. But he trusts in God while he's in the land of Midian. And you know that while he's there, he runs into Jethro, uh, sees Jethro's daughter Zipporah, and says, uh, you're a pretty good shepherdess. Maybe we can team up together. And they get married uh, and, uh, of course, have the children that Stephen mentions in Acts chapter 7. But he's there for 40 years. If we continue reading in, in Stephen's speech, Acts chapter 7, Moses is 40 when he flees. Thank you, Stephen, for giving us that information. But then Stephen says, when he's 80 years of age, 80 years of age, God calls to him at the burning bush. So when he's 40 years of age, he goes out to look at the plight of the Hebrews. When he's 40 years older than that. You see, Moses wasn't a bright young man when God told him, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. He had 80 years to grow in his faith. But his burst of growth didn't happen when he was 20 or when he was 30, or when he was 40, or 50, or 60, or even 70, but when he's 80 years of age, that's when Moses really starts to grow in his faith. I want you to think about some of these things with me. If we go to Exodus chapter 3, this is when God calls him. Notice how wimpy Moses is. Moses is a wimp in many respects. Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. He's encountering God. God says, I want to send you to bring my people out of Egypt. I'm concerned for them. Verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? You say, oh, Ron, he's not being a wimp. He's just trying to downplay things. He's just trying to be humble, saying, who am I? If that was all that there was, I, I, I might agree with you in that perception. But time after time, Moses offers all these excuses to such a point that, that you wonder, why doesn't God just strike him dead and find somebody else? This guy's whining so much. Chapter 3, verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I'm going to the sons uh, of Israel. What will I say to them? The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And now they may say to me, What is his name? What am I supposed to say? Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses said, what if they will not believe me or listen to me? For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. Verse 10, then Moses said to the Lord, please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Verse 14, the anger of the Lord burned against Moses, and he said, is there not your brother Aaron the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently, and moreover, behold, he is coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. 
You see how many times Moses says, I can't, I'm not the right guy. Don't send me. What am I? I don't know how to do this stuff. He doesn't have very good assurance. He doesn't have very much conviction in what he is to do at 80 years of age, having lived the life that he has. Finally, he goes to Egypt, and he confronts the people of Israel. He confronts Pharaoh. Chapter 5, verse 22, Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me? So Moses goes in before Pharaoh, or goes in before the people, and they don't really like what Moses has to say. They don't really trust what Moses has to say. Verse 23, ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak your name, he has done harm to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. He doesn't have very good faith. He's questioning God, is this, is this the best plan you've got? I went to Pharaoh, I had Aaron throw down his little rod, and it became a snake, and the Egyptians were able to do the same thing. It's going to be that way for a little while. Moses strikes the Nile River. Aaron strikes the Nile River. Turns the blood. Guess what? The Egyptians are able to do something similar with their trickery. And so people aren't listening to Moses. Chapter 6, verse 12. But Moses spoke before the Lord, saying, Behold, the sons of Israel have not listened to me. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? For I am unskilled in speech. These, these two times that God has sent Moses before Pharaoh, Pharaoh has said, Okay, Hebrews, you want to be free? I'm going to make your work harder. Ever had a boss like that? You didn't want to complain. I'll just make things tougher for you. Imagine being a slave, and Moses says, okay, look. And Pharaoh says, look, you want to go out and sacrifice your little god? You make double the bricks with half the straw. And we're not going to give you the straw anymore. you got to go get it. Magnificent turn of events against the sons of Israel. And Moses isn't too sure that things are working well. Verse 30, chapter 6. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am unskilled in speech. How then will Pharaoh listen to me again? Things are not going well. Chapter 7, verse 10. So Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh, and thus they did just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Chapter 7, verse 20. So Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. He lifted up the staff and struck the water in, in the, in, uh, that was in the Nile inside the Pharaoh and the side of his servants. And all the water was in the Nile was turned to blood. Chapter 8, verses 8 through 13. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may remove the, the frog from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, The honor is yours to tell me. When shall I entreat for you and your servants and for your people that the frogs may be destroyed from your house and that they may be left only in the Nile? Suddenly, Moses is starting. As things start to change, as, as God starts to work through Moses and Aaron, Moses' language starts to change. And, and, and now he's starting to be a little bit more resolved in his faith, as he sees what God is able to do, as he's, command, as he's following the commandments of God, even though he doesn't want to, even though he's not sure this is going to work, he starts following and listens to the commandments of God and doing the commandments of God, and things start working the way they're supposed to. Chapter 8, verse 26. Moses said, It is not right to do so. We will sacrifice to the Lord our God, 
what is an abomination to the Egyptians? If we sacrifice what is an abomination to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? So Moses tells Pharaoh, he says, look, we've got these sacrifices, these sheep. You Egyptians don't like sheep. Think they're an abomination. So if we go out and we sacrifice our sheep in the midst of the Egyptians, they're not going to go for that. It's going to be a problem. Just let us go. Moses is starting to take a stand before Pharaoh. You see, at the very beginning, he's like, not even the Israelites are going to listen to me. God, are you sure this is going to work? Are you sure this plan is okay? I don't know if this is going to work, God. God, Pharaoh's not going to listen to me. He doesn't want to pay attention to a guy like me. Why are you sending me? God, I can't speak. And now Moses is beginning to transition. Pharaoh, I'm going to tell you what. We're not going to go sacrifice here in Egypt. It's going to be an abomination to the Egyptians, and they're going to retaliate for that. It's not going to go well for us. Pharaoh, you need to do the right thing and just let us go. Verse 31, the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarm of flies from Pharaoh and from his servants and from his people. Not one remained. Moses is starting to take a stand of confidence. So much so that as we continue through the list of the plagues that we see in chapters 9 and following, when we get to chapter 9 and verse 23, Aaron suddenly is gone from the story. Exodus 9, verse 23, Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, and the Lord sent thunder and hell and fire and ran down to the earth. Fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hell on the land of Egypt. Verse 29, Moses said to him, Pharaoh, as soon as I go out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord, and thunder will cease, and there will no longer, and the hell will hell no longer be there, that you may know that the Lord, know that the earth is the Lord's. Finally, when we get to Exodus chapter 11, Moses is so bold as to be angry with Pharaoh and to get in anger, uh, Pharaoh's face. Exodus chapter 11, verse 8. All these your servants will come down to me and bow themselves before me, saying, Go out, you and all the people who follow you, and after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Moses goes in before Pharaoh, and he says, Pharaoh, if you don't let the people of Israel go, God is going to strike down the firstborn in every family, in every house that's not covered with the blood of the lamb. And, and Pharaoh, you're going to sit there and tell me that you're not going to let our people go. You would rather see people die because you're not going to let us go. And so Pharaoh sees Moses walk out in hot anger. Not the same guy that came in all wimpy and, and mealy mouth saying, I don't know if I can go and talk to Pharaoh, God. Giving excuses to God as to why he can't go to talk to Pharaoh. All of a sudden, Moses is standing up strong and he's firm in his faith, firm in his conviction, able to stand before Pharaoh and give him a sentence of death. And Israel would do as God commanded. With the blood on the lentils, and the sides and the, above the doors. And they did as Moses had commanded. Because Moses was doing what God had commanded. They had changed too. 
from not wanting to listen to Moses by ridiculing Moses, saying, why are you here? Pharaoh is just making things worse. And all of a sudden, the nation of Israel is listening to Moses. Folks, that didn't just all happen. It happened because Moses grew in his faith. The people of Israel grew in their faith. Even the Egyptians, as Israel leaves, have great respect for Moses. And they're willing to give the people of Israel everything they own to get rid of these guys. Their faith had grown. Why had it grown? That makes us think about our own faith and how it grows. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 11, verse 1. Many times we think only abstractly of faith, only abstractly of belief. I believe there's a God. He's just kind of out there. But as we see God work in our lives, as we listen to His commands and do what He tells us, our faith grows. How easy do you think it was for Moses to think abstractly of God at the beginning, knowing that his parents had put him in a basket and he was discovered by Pharaoh's daughter and he got to live that life that he lived and he's able to see that the Israelites are having to work hard and they're enslaved. Did, maybe in the back of his mind he knew about God. It was an abstract thought. Perhaps he was inspired by the faith of his parents. times we may wish we had the faith of Moses. The reality was he was not too excited to go back to Egypt. When God calls him in the land of Median, he doesn't want to go back to Egypt. He's willing to let any other action happen besides him being the one to talk to Pharaoh. When the challenge is light, it's easy to have that abstract statement of I believe. But when it gets tough, that's when our faith is challenged. And yet as we encounter those challenges to our faith and we rely on God and we trust in God and we see God working, that's when our faith grows. That's when our faith expands. How can we grow in our faith as Christians today? First of all, we need to know the Word of God. 2 Peter, chapter five, 2 Peter chapter 1 talks about the knowledge that we have of God through Christ. And then Peter says, beginning in first, uh, 2 Peter chapter, chapter 1, verse 5, he says, add to your knowledge faith. Or add to your faith knowledge. And, and to your knowledge self-control. And to your self-control uh, endurance or perseverance. And he, he says, add all these things. Our faith grows as we know the Word of God. We're convicted by it, and then we start following it. As things happen in your life, keep a record of those things. Whether it's a mental record, or maybe even a written journal. These are some challenges to my faith. And write down and record when God gives you the strength. It gives you the ability to overcome those challenges, how he has blessed you to overcome those challenges, and how he has blessed you. And revisit those things. What was the outcome? We need to remember Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, a key passage throughout this series. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those who seek him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. The giants of faith. Did they always have faith? 
Noah was convicted and lived counter to culture. Joseph's life was up and down, and yet because of his conviction and assurance, he kept going. But Moses did not start out with the faith to run into Pharaoh's house and say, you better let these people go. But his faith grew as he encountered those challenges, and he saw God working, and his faith grew so that he was able to lead a bunch of whining, sniveling people for 40 years to get to the promise and to be able to stand up and lead God's people. It didn't happen overnight. It took him 80 years and then some to have that faith. Is your faith helped by knowing that it will grow as you trust and follow God? Has your faith begun? Maybe you need to be united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection to baptism. Maybe you need encouragement in your faith. But whatever you need, won't you come? Just together we stand and sing.